circle. This is Angeles. We're now on season 3, episode 32 of this podcast. And this time I'll be discussing another interesting topic about Treasury Management Systems. For today's podcast episode, we have invited Mr. Joseph Wong, CEO of CCK Financial Solutions Limited. As he walks us through the critical importance of a DMS platform and its significant relevance to our digital economy. So let's get started. Thank you for listening to Fin Circle and welcome to our podcast. The Asia Pacific Treasury software market is expected to gain market growth in the forecast period of 2022 to 2029. McKinsey analyzes that the market is growing with a compound annual growth rate of 3.4% on this ad forecast period and is expected to reach. 866.59 million US dollars by 2030. The surging focus and adoption of cloud-based solutions in treasury management is expected to boost the Asia-Pacific treasury software market. The adoption of cloud-based solutions in treasury management is the major driving factor in the market. However, increasing cyber threats and data breaches as well as the challenges faced due to the impact of COVID-19 may act as a restraining factor. Penetration of advanced analytic solutions in the banking sector proved to be an opportunity. On the other hand, lack of awareness among consumers regarding the benefits of treasury management software can prove to be a challenge. This year, liquidity and cash management is expected to dominate the Asia-Pacific treasury software market as high penetration of treasury helps in the reduction of manual entry process as well as reduce calculation error. In 2022, 
the cloud segment is expected to dominate the Asia-Pacific Treasury software market as cost-efficiency and a flexible solution characteristics in providing a steady infrastructure with maximum output to the Treasury software service dealing organization. Some of the major companies dealing in the Asia-Pacific Treasury software are the following. Finastra, FIS, Murex SAS, SAP, Oracle, Edgeverge Systems Limited, a wholly owned subsidiary of Infosys, Ernst Young Global Limited, Pfizer Incorporated, Solomon Software Limited, Calypso, Intellect Design Limited, CCK Financial Solutions Limited, among others, are leading the way with regards to Treasury Management System implementation for the Asia-Pacific region. Therefore, having said all of this, this also gives us an indication that the DMS provides and improves decision-making and helps to create organization financial strategies in the long term. So this is certainly in our hands to make this as a reality. In today's podcast episode, we'll be talking to Mr. Joseph Wong, Chief Executive Officer of the CCK Financial Solutions Limited from Perth, Australia, as he shares with us his insightful views on the challenges and opportunities on the Treasury financial market platform of today and its significant importance to our virtual economy. It's an honor and privilege to have you, Joe, and welcome to FinCircle. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Let's probably start by defining on what is a treasury management system and its value proposition to our digital economy. Okay, let me first by ex- uh, start by explaining what the treasury of an organization is. So the treasury of an organization, uh, be it a bank or a corporation, is the division that manages the cash flow of the, of the organization and the financial risk of the organization. So this covers interest rate risk, currency risk, commodity risk, liquidity risk, and so on. And in the case of a bank, the treasury also does trading of financial instruments. Uh, these range from bonds and foreign exchange to all types of derivatives. And So a treasury management system is a system which helps the treasury to carry out its function. So if you think about that, so the treasury system would typically do the following things. Firstly, it will handle the trading activities. So you need to do analytics as well as manage the position. So uh, people know what is my exposure Uh, For example, the interest rate position, the currency position needs to be managing uh, the the profitability, monitoring the profitability. For uh, traders, this also includes price discovery. So that means, you know, what price should we do this transaction at? So that's the first thing. The second thing is, of course, uh, part of managing the cash, which is managing all the bank accounts. So... Uh, every bank has many bank accounts with other banks. 
So you have to manage uh, all that money. Uh, in the case of corporations, uh, uh, which are major producers or consumers of commodities, then uh, probably also managing a hedging program to spread the risk so that uh, a major upward or downward movement in prices will not substantially impact the, the organization's viability. Um, the next is handling the risk management activities. So this includes uh, setting and monitoring limits on traders. So it's usually referred to as market risk limits, as well as exposures to counterparties and issuers. So this is typically referred to as uh, credit risk limits. There's handling the, the settlement processes. So this, uh, uh, such as uh, sending swift messages to confirm the details of transactions, uh, matching of the swift messages against the messages sent by the counterparty, uh, doing the settlement process, uh, including through uh, payments through SWIFT or real-time gross settlement systems and so on. Um, handling the collateral. Collateral management is quite an important part of Treasury. So uh, that includes managing your margin calls uh, and doing uh, top-up or top-downs of the margin account when, the, when they're necessary. Um, of course, handling all the accounting, all the accounting has to be handled for the entire life cycle of all the treasury transactions. And then finally, the, the, doing the reporting, and that includes your management information reporting, uh, MIS reporting, as well as your regulatory reporting. So for corporations, treasury is usually a cost center. So that's providing services to the rest of the organization but for banks, uh, Treasury is usually a profit center as uh, Treasury does trading, as well as distributing uh, Treasury financial products to customers. From your perspective, Joe, what are the volatility risks of the financial market today and which direction do you think we are going? The Western world's central banks have been holding interest rates artificially low to support their economies from the impact of COVID-19. But the level of inflation is now climbing steeply. And uh, there are a range of factors why. There are problems with the supply chain due to the impact of COVID. There's uh, rapidly rising commodity prices, including oil prices, as well as many other commodities. Right? So uh, the rate of inflation in the US for the 12 months uh, ending uh, December 2021 was 7%. And that's continued to increase in the current year. So by February, it was 7.9%. But when you compare that with Fed rates of zero, or well, actually, sorry, 0.25% uh, from uh, last night, this is a huge difference. So that means that money is losing value at a very fast rate. So in order to make sure that that doesn't happen, it's pretty well inevitable that there will be increases in the US interest rates for the rest of 2022 and beyond. And similarly for other Western uh, countries. We have 
seen huge volatility also in commodity prices. So last year, uh, iron ore prices were at historical highs due to China trying to keep its economy going through building infrastructure. Right? Currently, oil prices are very high from the impact of Putin's uh, invasion of Ukraine. And this is really hurting all consumers as the price of energy increases from power bills, gas bills, cost of petrol, right? Um, and Ukraine, the poor country that's been invaded, is uh, known as the breadbasket of, of Eastern Europe. So the war will also result in increases in food prices. And this will hurt the world's poorer countries as food prices go up quite sharply. Even more recently, uh, nickel prices hit an all-time high of $100,000 a ton. Uh, this was due to a company called Qingshan, which is uh, the world's largest producer of nickel, having built up a very large short position in the metal. That means they've sold uh, nickel that they don't have, right? So uh, it's reported to be 150,000 tons. So they produce about 50,000 tons a year. So, you know, that's a lot of uh, short position. Then the war in the Ukraine happened. And because Russia is also a significant producer, nickel prices increased. And so Qingshan was caught in the, what's called a short squeeze. And so it was desperately trying to close out its short positions and basically buy metal back to cover the metal that it sold that it didn't have. And so this, what pushed the price up to an all time high of $100,000 a ton. In fact, the price went up so high the London Metal Exchange had to close, had to close the exchange to allow the market to cool down. Uh, fortunately for Qingshan, I mean, they're a Chinese company, the Chinese government stepped in and ordered the Chinese banks to lend money to Qingshan to allow it to pay its uh, margin calls. So, <laughs> so hopefully uh, all that, uh, that volatility will, will improve a bit. What are the challenges and opportunities that we have, particularly in the treasury market at this stage, uh, Joe? And what does the TMS platform like CCK, significant contribution in this particular financial ecosystem? Okay, there are quite a number of changes happening in the treasury market space. Probably the biggest change is the transition from LIBOR. LIBOR is used in about $300 trillion worth of contracts. LIBOR is a forward-looking rate. That means that you set the rate for the upcoming period. So for a three-month reset, if the rate is reset today, the rate determines the interest which will be paid in three months' time. LIBOR is being replaced by uh, an alternative reference rate for the, in the case of US, uh, the alternative reference rate is based on 
the secured overnight funding rate, uh, which is often uh, referred to as SOFR. Uh, and, but this is an overnight rate. So the alternative reference rate is actually constructed from a series of overnight rates. Uh, it's constructed like an overnight index loan. But this is backward looking. So what that means is that when you're doing a rate reset today, you're resetting the interest, you're calculating the interest, which is due to be paid now for the past three months. So LIBOR is forward looking. So when you set the rate today, you set the interest that will be paid in three months time. SOFR is backward looking. So when you reset the rate today, you set the rate that you're paying today for the last three months. This makes planning for interest costs very difficult. So you don't know what the rate of interest will be until it's time to pay it, okay? And the next biggest challenge is uh, is really mostly for banks, and that's uh, the changes for what's called the fundamental review of the trading book, or often referred to FRTB. So this is a regulatory change, and this changes the amount of capital required to fund the trading book. And this will significantly increase the amount of capital required to run a trading operation. The third significant change is the change in SWIFT. SWIFT is an international messaging system, which is used by banks to confirm transactions with each other and also to pay each other. And uh, SWIFT is, uh, actually SWIFT has been in use lately because uh, the Western world cut uh, the major banks in Russia off from SWIFT, so they can't pay anybody. Um, and SWIFT is substantially changing the format of its messages to a new standard. So they, the, the SWIFT messages used to be called MT messages, or they still are, but they're being changed to what's called MX messages uh, under an international standard called ISO 20022. So that's another significant area of change. So all these areas of change need changes to your treasury system because obviously these didn't exist before. So no treasury system would have been handling it. The major challenge though, is that whilst changing the software to handle the new requirements is not that difficult, it's just programming. So um, the challenge though, is that banks will need to upgrade their systems. And this is a major challenge for most uh, systems. So for, for most systems, an upgrade of a treasury system is a major project, not far different from implementing a new system. So that means all the banks will be facing a pretty substantial upgrade cost. And, and this is an area where Guava, uh, CCK system is called Guava, is uh, very fundamentally different from other treasury systems. Guava's upgrades are done simply by running a script. And so when CCK uh, releases a new release, there's the, the new software as well as the script, which will upgrade your, your system from the old release to the new release. 
So there's no major project, no major cost. So of course each bank will, of course, test the new release. And but once that's done, the upgrade is simply done by running the script over the weekend, and the new release is ready on Monday. I understand, Joe, that you are an actuarial and a math wizard. Relatively, you were voted actuary of the year by the Institute of Actuaries of Australia and received the Achiever of the Year Award at the Western Australian Information Technology Awards, which are held under the auspices of the Australian Computer Society. In the other days, what are your relevant takeaways from these remarkable experiences? <laughs> I'm a very lucky person. Uh, I have two professions. Uh, so the first is being an actuary, as you say. Uh, an actuary is a financial mathematician. So what actuaries do is manage data and manage risks. So in many ways, actuaries were the early data scientists. So, you know, today, data science is a, is a major profession, but uh, actuaries were the early days data scientists. Um, so the profession is actually very good is a very good fit for treasury management because that is all about managing financial risk and uh, financial risk covers uh, interest rate risk, currency risk, liquidity risk, and all these types of risks. My second profession is computer science. And uh, a treasury system is putting together the software to help the treasury professional to manage their risk. So uh, um, to have been recognized by both my profession is, as you say, an am amazing experience. And I'm really very grateful for both the professional bodies for giving me that recognition. We all know that the COVID-19 pandemic severely disrupted our financial systems, which consequently pushed treasury investors to raise cash in building buffers to help ride out the economic storm. This, however, steered companies to tap their banks' revolving credit lines, which eventually led financial institutions to sell high-quality liquid assets, including treasuries, to fund those draws, accelerating a vicious cycle of this what we call deleveraging. How do you think we can mitigate this particular circumstance? There is absolutely no doubt that COVID-19 has had major impacts on international economies and hence the financial systems of those economies. So areas in the economies which are reliant on international travel have been absolutely devastated. Most major countries though have put in place stimulus measures to try to protect the economy. And uh, this flood of money has benefited some industries. For example, China pumped even more money into infrastructure, which requires steel production, which of course requires raw materials such as iron ore. And uh, that means that the uh, price of iron ore went to record levels, which turns iron ore miners uh, many of them Australian companies, 
into hugely profitable companies who have then paid huge dividends to their shareholders. You know, so in some areas there's a, a it's a, a wash with money, and in some areas that the uh, there's a substantial shortage of money. Now banks are intermediaries, so uh, hopefully they will have some customers who have been adversely impacted by COVID, but also some customers who have been positively impacted by the stimulus packages that uh, the major countries have been uh, implementing. Now the banks are regulated by the regulators and they set minimum capital requirements as well as uh, rules for monitoring their risks. So included in this is controls for credit risk. So generally banks have been more lenient towards their customers impacted by COVID-19. Even so, they have been monitoring the risk closely as they're required by the regulations to do so. The capital adequacy regulations to ensure that banks maintain sufficient capital to run their business. So if there are significant credit losses, then the banks will need to raise capital in order to maintain their capital adequacy. We haven't really seen very much of that so far, but uh, it, it could happen. How well does the CCK technology integrate with other platforms? Moreover, what are its other relevant features that will somehow benefit its stakeholders? Good question. Um, integration is actually one of Guava's key strengths. So in the treasury world, most trading takes place uh, on trading platforms. So typically either Bloomberg or Refinitiv. Guava is able to integrate with both these platforms to take transactions directly into Guava in a straight through processing way without the need for user intervention. Uh, of course, the rates change in the, in the financial markets and Guava also supports real-time rates from both Bloomberg and Refinitiv. But these days, more and more systems integrate through uh, REST APIs or web APIs. Uh, Guava supports APIs for integration. Um, but the way that Guava implemented its APIs are actually a little bit different from some other systems. So many systems, the APIs are fixed. So if the user needs some different functionality, they need to contact the vendor to add another API to the library. So CCK has taken a very different approach to APIs by making them highly flexible. So um, CCK has four classes of APIs, three where Guava is the server, that means another system is calling one of Guava's APIs, and one where Guava is calling other systems APIs because uh, with integration, you have to, uh, uh, there has to be uh, two-way communications, uh, information in and information out. So the first class of APIs are APIs to allow other systems to send information into Guava. So Guava allows any data, both static data, such as customer data, uh, information uh, uh, like, uh, 
new ISINs when they're when new bonds are being uh, uh, issued and so on. So all that's called static data as well as transactions to be sent into Guava through an API. So basically anything which you can enter into Guava through a Guava page can be sent into Guava through an API. So it's completely open. The second class of APIs are APIs to allow other systems to extract data from Guava. Um, so again, here, the, the Guava user has complete control over what information is extracted from Guava. So Guava already had a power user tool, uh, a, a tool we call a power user tool called Guava Insight. And this is an ETL tool which allows users to extract information, but also to transform the data. And what CCK has done is to allow these queries generated by the ETL tool to be called through an API. So the user decides what information they need to see. They build the query using Guava Insight. They transform the data within that query they give that query a name, and then the API can simply call that name query and retrieve whatever information that they want, the, the, including all the transformation process that's happened on the data. The third class of APIs are APIs to allow other systems to action a step in a workflow in Guava. So Guava has its own inbuilt workflow engine. So that allows, this is also one of our power user tools, uh, which allows our clients to set up their own workflows. So for example, the client have a, can have an approval step, right, which is holding up a payment. So until the approval is done, the system won't make the payment. So uh, we have some clients that have a mobile app, which uh, does the approval. And, and so the app calls the API to action the approval step and then the uh, payment will then automatically be generated by Guava after the, the step is approved. So the fourth class of APIs are APIs to call APIs provided by other systems. So we're acting as a client. So for example, uh, when a treasury transaction is done with a customer, typically the treasury system may need to debit or credit the customer's current account in the core banking system. Once again, it's not necessary to do coding as uh, the power user tool is called uh, the electronic message center. This allows the client to actually format the messages to be sent via the API. So um, uh, another good example actually is a, there's a new regulatory system called Sismontavar in Indonesia. So the Indonesian Central Bank has created a new system that requires uh, all banks to report every FX transaction over 250,000 US within 30 minutes of the deal being done. And the reporting is done through an API. And uh, the, done, the reporting is done transaction by transaction. The system actually only turned on a couple of weeks ago, but we already have a client reporting to that system through the API. So it's quite easy to, to do these things and the things can be done by the client themselves. 
So the ease of integration means that the treasury system can be an integral part of the bank's system infrastructure. So some people say the treasury is the heart of the bank. If the heart is not connected to the rest of the body, you're in big trouble. <laughs> so uh, in Guava, that's very easy to do. We can, we can connect very easily. CCK has been instrumental in the significant adoption of treasury management system in Asia-Pacific region, particularly in the Philippines that somehow influence several financial institutions that acquire Guava treasury platform. What do you think are the main motivation behind this uh, adoption? Okay, I think that there are actually two major reasons for this. And they are uh, the ease of upgrade and flexibility. So uh, let me talk about ease of upgrade first. I, I already talked about it earlier. So every vendor of a treasury system says the upgrades are free. They all say that. But what they mean is that the software is free. But in order to implement the new release, there has to be a major project, which is similar to implementing a new system. So we have heard of uh, cases where an upgrade took 18 months or two years in order to do an upgrade. Right. So this component is not free. This services component is not free. Moreover, since there's usually no competition for an upgrade, you know, when you're buying a new system, you usually send an RFP and uh, many, many vendors uh, bid for it. But in, a, in an upgrade, there's no competition because there's only one vendor that can supply you the upgrade, right? So quite often that cost of, um, of the upgrade can be pretty high. Um, of course, in addition to that, if you take two years, for instance, to implement an upgrade, there's a big impact on the business. So uh, just like there is when a, a new system is being implemented. Guava's upgrades are done by running a script. It doesn't matter that there have been customization to the system. The upgrade is done by, still done by running the script. So. Uh, every one of our clients have done upgrades themselves with no help from CCK. Uh, they just uh, up download the software, download the new release, download the script. They do their testing. Then uh, when they're finished with the testing, they run the upgrade on the, uh, on the uh, production system. And bingo, on Monday, they're on the new release. So the word spreads, you know, uh, when we first told people about this, nobody believed us. Uh, what? <laughs> Impossible, right? How can you do that? Nobody else can do that. So, um, uh, but after a, a few clients have done it themselves and they have prepared to say that, yes, I've done it themselves, then uh, it becomes harder and harder not to believe it. So, uh, Basically, most of our opportunities have arisen when the client is facing end of life for their current system, right? So uh, what happens is that if you have to pay a big amount to do an upgrade, uh, many banks don't do the upgrade regularly because they can't afford to do that because the cost is too high. So uh, if they don't do the upgrade, 
then the system reaches end of life, right? So, and they don't do up the upgrade because of the cost and the inconvenience, but then you come to end of life and then you're forced to do an upgrade. So at that time, the bank looks around to see what else is out there. And then when they see a system, which means that, oh, I will never have to go through this major exercise again in the future. So uh, let's look at them, all right? So that's why we have a good opportunity to gain a new client. So uh, as you, you mentioned, the Philippines. So in the Philippines, since we started, uh, there was a, another vendor that used to have nine out of the top 10 banks. And today we have six of them and, and we're still talking to some of the others. So the second reason is the flexibility of Guava. So CCK has actually been in the treasury business for 40 years and 40 years is a long time. Technology has changed hugely in those 40 years. And so instead of just relying on one system, what we have been doing is building new generations of the system. So Guava is actually CCK's third generation of solutions. So we were able to make use of what we learned with earlier generations to put into a newer generation. So our previous generations are the same as uh, every other system. So firstly, we have to do many customizations for our clients. And mainly that's because regulations keep changing, right? So when you ch regulations change in different countries, you have to do customizations because to, you have to cater for the new regulations. So when we were in the design phase for Guava, we went back and analyzed all the customizations we, which we did for all our clients in the previous 10 years with our second generation solution. And what we found was really interesting that basically 85%, actually over 85% of all the customizations fell into six major categories. So when we built Guava, what we did was we built six set of tools. We called them power user tools. So we built six power user tools, which allows the client to do the customizations themselves if they want to. We have some clients who don't want to. They ask us to do that. But if we do that, we also use the power user tools to do that. We don't do coding. So it's a no coding way of changing systems. So and we built these power user tools in very robust frameworks. So when there's an upgrade, CCK can guarantee that any customizations carried out by the client using the power user tools will upgrade without any rework. So even though you've been doing lots and lots of customization of the system yourself, when you do the upgrade, all that just carries over to the new release. So what this have done is to put the control of their, their own destiny into the hands of the client, okay? So one of the problems with acquiring a system is that before a client acquires a system, the client has all the power because the client decides which system to buy, right? But after a system has been acquired, the power moves into the hands of the vendor. 
because the client is dependent on the vendor for customizations. And you have to have customizations, new regulations. How do you cater for the new regulations if you don't have customizations, right? And this is when issues arise. So, because uh, then there's a cost, you have to wait for the, the vendors uh, to do it, do the work, and uh, they set the timeline. You don't set the timeline. Uh, you have to sit in a queue with other vendor, uh, with other clients, and so on. And so all these issues disappear when you can do it yourself. Okay. So with the design of Guava, the client has to power to take action itself. So uh, with other vendors, the client has to be dependent on the vendor to pay for the services. And the problem is that in some cases, the client may decide that the cost can't be justified, right? And so we just have a workaround. And, uh, and then the next thing happens and okay, we just have the workaround for this as well. So what happens is that your manual processes start to accumulate and then you have more and more and more manual processes over the years. And uh, so I'll give you uh, an example, right? We, we uh, uh, last year during, during the pandemic, we actually brought one of the major banks in, in the Philippines live. And uh, before they went live, their back office had a, a business as usual of uh, working till 10 p.m. every night. They had to do that because there were so many manual processes, okay? When we implemented Guava, we removed all of the manual processes. And uh, since then, they haven't accumulated anymore. And uh, so their business as usual went to 5 p.m. And they saved a huge amount of overtime. So all this means that once the client is able to make customizations itself, right? the situation changes completely because then the client is controlling its own destiny and instead of being dependent on the vendor. So our success basically is uh, can be attributed to potential clients seeing how other clients have been able to control their own destiny rather than being completely dependent on the vendor. And so of course, there are other contributing factors such as our functionality. Guava is very, very functionally rich. Uh, the level of our service, we have, uh, we like to think that we have very, uh, provide very good service. Actually, we have a, 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 a client actually also in the Philippines. They actually run a survey, an internal survey every year for all their internal systems. And they very kindly supply us with their results of the internal survey for Guava every year. And uh, I'm pleased to say that uh, uh, Guava support is either uh, a five, or uh, which means excellent, or a four, which means very good, right? So everything is either excellent or very good. <laughs> so we're really happy and really pleased that the client sends us these reviews. And they send it uh, you know, we don't ask for it. They just send it every year. <laughs> How do you foresee the future of digital assets and derivative financial instruments, uh, Joe? 
Okay, this is a big area. Digital assets are definitely coming. So already quite a few countries are investigating the setting up of their own digital currency. So it's still relatively early days, still an area under development. But uh, the next few years, uh, at most five years, I would say, there will be several countries with their own digital currencies. Okay, so things are happening. Of course, CCK is doing things in that area as well. Okay, derivatives are uh, also here to stay. Uh, more and more derivatives are being embedded into some structured products. So in some ways, uh, you know, the current low interest rates have contributed to this development. So with interest rates so low, many investors are looking for a way to increase their rate of re return, right? And the banks are filling this demand by selling structured products. So for example, uh, there's a, a structured product called the dual currency investment. And that's uh, very popular in, uh, in many countries like Singapore, Malaysia. Um, for this product, the customer places a deposit with the bank. And of course, there's a rate of interest on that deposit. But the bank has an option to repay the amount either in the original currency, of course, plus interest, or to repay the amount in a different currency, but at an agreed exchange rate. So you agree the exchange rate from day one. So the bank has that option. So what this actually means is that the depositor has effectively sold a currency option to the bank, right? And, and the bank is paying for that, uh, paying the premium of that option as an additional interest rate being paid on the deposit. So the depositor is now bearing a currency exchange risk. So that's one example. There are many such examples happening. And uh, more and more derivative products are coming into the market. And uh, one of the uh, strengths of guava uh, is that uh, most of these products can again be defined by the, the bank itself using our power user tool. And so it does again doesn't need CCK to come in to do the work. They can do it themselves. Given your relative experience on treasury management systems, uh, Joe, any word of advice that you can give with regards to this subject matter? Okay, I guess uh, the, the best word of advice I can give is to say, think of the future. Um, it is absolutely certain that there will be changes in regulations and changes in the financial market moving forward. So uh, any system that you buy today, of course, you make sure that it meets your requirements today, right? But think about whether or not the system will continue to meet your needs if your requirements were to change. So today, we don't know what the new requirements will be. We don't know how things will change. 
but for sure they will change. I mean, if you look at the, the three major challenges, right? Um, nobody knew that LIBOR was going to be canceled. That's why there's 300 trillion words of contracts going to be uh, uh, based on LIBOR. Nobody knew these things, right? So uh, you have to think about what might happen in the future and how the selection of your system will future-proof you and not just meet your needs today, but meet your needs for the future. Very well said. Are there any initiatives that you're working on, Joe, that you would like to share with our podcast listening audience? And what are the easiest way of uh, reaching you? Okay. Guava is a constantly evolving system, right? So we make new releases every 18 months or so. And we're constantly looking at ways to improve the system, improve the functionality, uh, evolve the look and feel of the system. So, you know, the way the dashboards work and so on. And of course, keep up with changes in the financial markets, right? So we are constantly making these changes because the market is constantly changing. So if the market is constantly changing, if we stand still, that actually means that we're going backwards. So we don't want to do that. So that's why we're constantly looking at new things and new ways of doing things. Because very often the way of doing something is just as important as as what it does. So uh, uh, so whatever our, uh, we are doing today is not sacrosanct. Uh, we don't say, oh, this is how we do it. That's it, right? If we uh, get requests from clients and so on, and we see changes in the marketplace, we will actually make changes to the system. And the beauty is that you can uh, upgrade to that new system and use the new functionality simply by running a script. So as for contacting me, probably the easiest way would be through LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me. Uh, there are lots of Joseph Wongs, but uh, if you put in Joseph Wong CCK, you should be able to find me. Uh, an alternative would be through our website. Our website is cckguava.com. Uh, cckguava is one word cckguava.com so I'm located in our Perth head office and uh, there are contact details on the website Thanks so much Joe for sharing us your valuable insights on the treasury management system and its significant importance to our digital economy We wish you great success in the future Thank you very much Edgar I really enjoyed this, this chat and uh, thank you for inviting me
CCK Financial Solutions Limited. We would like to express our sincere gratitude to Mr. Joseph Wong on sharing us this remarkable perspective on the Treasury Management System and the exceptional features of the Guava Treasury Platform. We would like to hear from you, share us your thoughts regarding our topics, and send us a message on the Anchor Voice message box. Your message could end up on our future podcast episode. Make sure you never miss any episodes of Trend Circle by clicking the subscribe button or follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Amazon Podcasts, Pocketcast, Audible, Overcast, TuneIn, and Anchor.fm. You can also reach us on our website at fincircle.wordpress.com and our Facebook page at Fincircle Podcast. This concludes our podcast episode today. Thank you for listening on Twin Circle. This is Ed Angels. Let's catch up again soon.